it's Thursday, and welcome to our latest edition of Bold Leaders in Learning. I'm Brandon Bustide, president of University Partners at Kaplan, and thank you for joining us. I'm really excited about today's conversation. This past Saturday, some of you know I posted uh, a little message on LinkedIn about how we need to think about disruption in higher education differently from the perspective of faculty, and that faculty have actually played a huge role in disruptive innovation in higher education. It accompanied a Forbes article that I published on Saturday as well. And I can't tell you how much positive outreach I've had since then. Well over 100,000 views of this LinkedIn post, I think the most that I've ever had. Um, and I just had an outpouring of communication from faculty who had started new initiatives or ventures or new businesses. And, and one of them that, that was pointed out to me was Nareen's company. And I'm delighted to have Dr. Nareen Hall with me today. She's a professor at Champlain College in Vermont. She's also the founder and CEO of a brand new company, InSpace, that I'm gonna let her tell you a little bit more about. But Noreen, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I would love to just have everybody get a better sense of you and your own personal background. And then tell us a little bit about uh, InSpace. Yeah, hi, hi, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I'm a professor. I've been teaching for over five years now, and uh, previously I worked in industry. I worked at Wolfram Alpha and IBM Watson and some other companies. And I just love being in the crossroads of industry and academia. It's a it's a really fun place to be. And I've always been passionate about learning and how humans learn and how uh, machines learn. So I'm actually in machine learning. That's that's what I what I do. And at Champlain College, we actually started the data science program. We're one of the first colleges to have this. Uh, really excited to sort of be in that direction. And uh, yeah, so this um, spring, as you all know, things have been a little different and we all moved to virtual education. Uh, and what happened is I noticed that a lot of the connections in the classroom, the joy of teaching was gone, uh, at least for me. And I, I know it's true for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the teaching is so fascinating when like, you know, you see like light bulbs going on and like connecting with students and, you know, inspiring people to go learn and motivating them. And what we found was that it was very hard when you're in a Zoom or meet environment where one person talks to many, it's harder to connect with people. So at that point, I was actually thinking, uh, quitting my job as a teacher and doing something else. Uh, but then I started talking to parents and students and other colleagues. And we started wondering if it's about the tools. Maybe we just don't have the right tools where we can maybe uh, do better connecting with our students. And that's where the idea of InSpace came. Um, so basically what InSpace is a fundamentally different communication platform that allows people to connect and collaborate and do teamwork in virtual spaces like uh, classrooms. And, uh, you know, I was in August, I was getting ready for the full semester and I realized that I have to rewrite my entire content because, um, you know, it was all around teamwork and hands-on experiences and Champlain College is known for doing this kind of things, like just kind of flips, uh, flip classroom experiences, very experiential learning oriented. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to lose that. The teamwork is so important and collaborative environment where students are competing, cooperating uh, and working together. And uh, yeah, at that point we were like, okay, we need a different solution. And that's how InSpace came to be. So I, I love how you tell this story. Like it was August and you were like, hey, I need some better tools. And so you just decided to whip up an entirely new communications platform. And by the way, it's like, I think early October, the last I checked. So <laughs> we're talking about, I don't know, 60 days, uh, you know, and you, you've already got this off the ground. 
uh, faculty and students are using it at Champlain. You have other universities that are gonna start to, uh, or have already started using it. Um, tell us a little bit more about what it actually does. What are some of the features and functionality that faculty and students can use in InSpace? Yeah, so one of the things that we realized immediately we need is that freedom of movement. We want people to be in charge of their video conferencing experience and move around and freely in the space, just like we do in physical spaces. So what it is, everybody is a video circle and you can click on your video circle and you can move it anywhere you want in the space. You can zoom into specific areas or zoom out and look at the bigger picture. And uh, when video circles are close to each other, people can actually talk to each other, engage with each other. As they move away, the voices go down and disappear. And it actually uh, allows people to go find new conversations. So because of this design, now we can actually have multiple conversations in one space. And this is the fundamental difference with uh, other platforms like you know, Zoom and Meet, where you, when you talk, everybody listens to the same person. And it's very hard to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And as you know, in education, one of the things that's so important, especially like in traditional um, colleges, is having that access to your instructor, to your professor, to your peers, to ask questions. And everybody has like a specific question and being able to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation without having everybody else listening to that conversation and waiting for a problem to be solved that maybe not is their problem is really nice. And in Zoom environment, I noticed like, when you have like those uh, conversations, sometimes students start zoning out because they, uh, you know, they maybe don't have that problem. They already fixed that. They're over it. But so in, in space, what you can do, you can actually just move on the side and have that conversation while everybody else continues doing their work, whether working in the teams or what they are doing. Um, the other thing that happens in space is like you can broadcast. You can let everybody know that what you're doing. But then the proximity based audio is the part that allows people to have multiple conversations in the in the same space. It's pretty cool. It sounds like what would happen in a classroom, right? I want to hover over this table and check out the conversation there. I want to move my team over here because I'm working on a project and a breakout. I've got a question for the professor. So I, I move my little circle bubble, video bubble over to the professor and we have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And uh, for those of you who haven't checked it out, there's, um, there's a great little video overview of the features of InSpace. And um, uh, I'll make sure I post links to it on, uh, on my LinkedIn feed just so you can see it. But um, so Noreen, tell me a little bit more, you know, this, uh, I, I, I've done a lot of studies around entrepreneurship, right? And one of the things that, that uh, I think in the US people focus on less is that most entrepreneurs around the world are what we call necessity entrepreneurs, right? Like they created a business because they had no other job or they created a business because there was this incredible problem that they had to solve or, or they couldn't do what they were trying to do, right? And so this is an example in some ways of the necessity entrepreneur. You were a faculty member who was like, I can't teach like this. So I'm going to go build my own platform. And obviously it, it touched a nerve of, of other faculty who are thinking the same thing, wanting the same kinds of things. Um, so just tell me a little bit about, you know, how this evolved, right? You know, take me from spring. You've, you've given me bits and pieces of it, but like, what were the first steps? You know, how, how did you how did you get funding? You know, how did the university support or not support you in getting this off the ground? I would just love to hear a little bit more of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share that. So, uh, yeah, you know, like I said in August when I was thinking about this, you know, I immediately basically started coding. And then my longtime friend, who's a brilliant software engineer in Armenia, she connected with me and she said, hey, what's going on? You haven't slept in a couple of days. And I said, 
look, I want to have this ready for the 1st of September when we go back to classroom. And, you know, she said, so you want to build something that's better than Zoom in a month. And she was like, you know, half jokingly, she's like, you do realize it probably took them a year to build it. And, you know, I said, I don't think we have a choice. I need the solution in the classroom. So she joined me and uh, we started coding together. And within a week, we actually had a team of 10 uh, really brilliant developers across the globe joining us and working together. And I think it's really important when you're working on something that is a pain point that everybody can relate to. And a lot of these people that are working with us are so inspired that we, we didn't sleep through night. And honestly, time zone wasn't even a problem because we were just going on and working around the clock. And a lot of, a lot of them have like, you know, kids who were on the Zoom or they were using Zoom for their different meetings and stuff. So everybody just wanted to be in the in-space. And we, as soon as the first prototype was ready, we we're just spending hours in there, just troubleshooting, bug fixing, and just playing, really just having fun. Um, and then what happened is I shared the, the link, the first prototype with one of my colleagues about a week before the school started. And uh, it started spreading in the college. And what, I, what we didn't even realize how many people were joining in-space and checking it out and wanting to use it. I started getting a lot of emails from different departments and people wanting to join. And one of the things about Champlain College is like, it's an excellent college for doing innovation because we, we, I, we have such a support. For example, um, we, as faculty, we can create companies and uh, you know, our intellectual property doesn't go immediately to college. So it allows you space and freedom to go and build things and make them useful and work with the college. And um, so yeah, what happened, I met with the president and he said, so I don't know what it is, but everybody's talking about it and everybody wants to use it. How can we make it happen? And at this, at this time, this was actually, uh, I was using my personal credit card running our video conferencing course. And I said, well, if you guys can just do the video conferencing course, I think we can do this. And so they were the first pilot college to adopt the, you know, in space as a software and, um, you know, early adopters and everybody started using it. And then we very quickly, we started hearing from other colleges, from professors who heard about it, they wanted to use it. So now we have about a dozen colleges where different uh, people are using it. So starting November 1st, we're opening this up to other colleges so they can sign and use it. That's pretty incredible. I mean, just every little bit of that I love, right? You know, just in a matter of days, you had friends and collaborators from all over the globe who were, you know, irrespective of time zone, it didn't matter because you guys were just working full out and, um, you know, obviously spread virally among the faculty and other members at, at Champlain who heard about it, including the president who obviously, you know, uh, was, was very supportive and getting behind it. I mean, you just think of the speed with which this has taken place is really remarkable. You know, you go back to the, you know, the classic critiques of higher education. It doesn't move fast enough, right? And this you know, this narrative that I suggested we need to change about faculty being reticent to change, like your story and this whole story of Champlain just completely obliterate those two things. So it's, uh, first of all, it's inspiring. Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's also just something that I think uh, is, is, you know, an example of the, you know, the proverbial uh, boat that we're all in together right now, right? We're, we're trying to figure out better ways to do things. We've all been forced into a situation that you know, just requires different ways of working, different ways of learning. And, and you're right, the interesting thing you said too is that all of us, uh, you know, see it from multiple dimensions, right? I got, I've got two kids who are entirely online right now doing school in the room behind me. My wife is doing her work online. I mean, we're an entirely working, learning online family right now. And um, it's just kind of amazing to see that there will be, I think, in my opinion, more, more innovation in the learning and learning pedagogy, learning technology, 
space, right, in this next year or two than there has been in the last 20 years. And the last 20 years has seen a real growth there. So, um, so I'm curious, you know, as you think about this, uh, I mean, what, what's going to happen? Your, your, your plan right now is to continue to be on the faculty, to launch this uh, company. I'm just curious what the, what the next year ahead do you think is going to look like for you? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting time for higher education. In some ways, there's a lot of challenges that we're facing. And, uh, you know, obviously COVID and everything sort of just changes. And in one way, we're getting more adaptable and we're learning on our feet, basically, how do we navigate this? And I think this is a time when like a lot of colleges are that are innovative and bold can just, uh, you know, come up and sort of lead this sort of change. And, uh, and it's really, it's really exciting to be part of a college that has like all the excellent points to be sort of this kind of college. And I, and I think when I spoke with the president, one of the things he said, he said, this is what the pivot looks like. And this is the kind of thing that we need right now. And one of the things he said was like, how do we put this in front of all the faculty like tomorrow? How do we do it? What do you need? And it was like yeah. really exciting to see that kind of support. And, you know, honestly, it's kind of bold and be able to just take new cutting edge technology and say, you know, we're going to give it a try. And actually from another University of Vermont, uh, one of the professors who tried it, he said, you know, this whole semester is a big experiment anyway. So anything that can make it better is worth trying. So I think it's an extraordinary time and it's a very different um, how everything is changing. Um, but it, it's been also interesting to notice how different colleges were uh, looking into it. And like we have colleges, uh, schools right now that are people are very excited to adopt, but it's it's hard to figure out how do how do they speak with the administration? How do they bring this to the college? And it's it's firsthand you can start noticing the differences in um, different places how you know how education works. Um, but as far as the future, I think it's interesting as we all move to virtual spaces. And I know so many of us are spending so much time in virtual spaces. I think one of our goals with InSpace was well, if we're going to spend so much time online, let's make our space more beautiful. Let's make it more uh, user-friendly. Let's make it more nicer so we can actually interact better. So be able to move freely and just socialize with people, have our social interactions, just like, you know, when you approach someone and say, hey, how's, how's your day going? It's just like so important as humans to be able to have those um, characteristics. And, uh, you know, for example, you can customize your background so you can be anywhere you want. It could be your office. It can be a beautiful campus picture. And like seeing people just to come into that space and just look around and just kind of feel like they're free, they're moving around and they're doing things and it feels more natural. And I think what's gonna happen in the future, I think online education and hybrid models are here to stay because um, a lot of us realize that there are certain efficiencies that we gain from this. And there's also a part of us that just wants to be back to like, you know, being in physical spaces. So I think moving on, we're gonna sort of interestingly filter out which which what works best in what environment. And as our tools improve, I can see like some of the things that still staying online while other things move back to, you know, normal classrooms. For example, study groups, you don't have to go all the way to places to meet with people. You can just hop into the in-space call and, you know, work together, troubleshoot a lab that's maybe due tomorrow and kind of save that time that you would normally to commute to places to meet with people. Yeah, I mean, well, you and I were kind of chatting that before we went on live, you know, just the idea of like, you know, wow, I had to go meet with somebody in person and it just took a lot of time to get there and get back and <laughs> I had to put on like a, an actual outfit instead of my pajamas. And, you know, it just, I think of all the time that I spent on airplanes and, you know, planes, trains and automobiles, uh, which, you know, before the pandemic seemed so necessary, right? Like, how could you, yeah. you know, have meetings and conduct business and build partnerships without doing that? But of course, you know, we're months into this now. I haven't been on a plane since March 2nd. Uh, and as I forecast out, 
I, you know, I'm sure I'll be getting on planes again at some point, but I don't think it'll be anywhere near the level it was before. And I think about just, you know, uh, other examples of productivity, you know, uh, meetings of senior executives within our organization where we used to schedule two or three days for everybody from around the world to fly into one location. And, you know, instead we've broken it up into little mini sessions over multiple months. And honestly, it's been better. The quality of our conversations, right? The ability to schedule these meetings is easier because it doesn't require everybody physically, you know, getting on airplanes and coming to a location. And I think the same thing is true too, as we think about students, right? Because you say, okay, we've had a lot of barriers put in front of us because of this mm -hmm. pandemic, but what are the opportunities that is created, right? And exactly. so you think about the idea of a student who maybe wants to study abroad or do an internship abroad, they could still be keeping up with their, you know, on-time graduation with classes because they can do online classes from anywhere in the world, right? And Burlington, mm -hmm. Vermont is a beautiful place to be, but hey, maybe I want to take a semester in Napa Valley. And, you know, I, if I have online courses that I can take there, right? Like it just, it provides that kind of freedom too. And I do think you're right. There's going to be a bit of a permanency in our adoption of this online environment. And especially if we can make it as you kind of said, more fun, more beautiful, more realistic, more natural, like whatever, you know, the, the descriptions are. And so I'm curious what, yeah. what, tell me some of the things you've heard from other faculty members that, you know, have either responded to InSpace or are also doing new and different things that you've heard them. I would just love to hear what else you're hearing amongst the faculty at Champlain. Yeah, to be honest, I have been, we have been so humbled and honored with like the kind of positive response that we got. It was really, it's really incredible. And I think that's part of why we're moving so fast because we're so like, it just motivates us. It just fuels us to just go do more because of like all the positive feedback we have received. And one of the things that uh, people usually say is that they're able to utilize their classroom however they like in, in space. So in some ways, we're basically taking the barriers of technology out of the way and letting people just go in there and be humans and run their classes just the way they did before or however they like. So I have professors who love doing their classes in like a circle where like everybody's in a circle. And when someone has a question, they actually come closer towards the middle. And you can actually see when two people are approaching, you know, that two people about to talk and one of them goes back. So it's a visual cues and visual feedback as to what's about to happen and who wants to talk or participate so it's so much easier than like you know when we always like in the zoom have this thing where like you know two people talk at the same time then it's awkward and you know you go back and forth so having the social cues and ability to just manage the classroom however they like was like one of the biggest ones and i also heard from a lot of people who are in education and in psychology talking about how important it is to have this freedom of movement, to have this ability to just decide where you wanna be in your space and how you wanna, just being in charge of your virtual experience and um, socializing with people just like in normal spaces. And in some ways it feels like more normal because when you're approaching someone, you kind of, you it feels more like in a real, real life sort of situation. And this is especially important for like, younger kids as they are like in K K-12 because they're learning also how to be in the classroom and how to behave in the classroom. So being stuck in a sort of square doesn't allow them to experience those things. And in InSpace, they actually have more of this social behavior. Now, one thing I also want to touch base, you mentioned about sort of this virtualization of everything. And I did notice something also happening where like um, the world in some ways became more flat, right? Where we 
the access to resources became more flat and yeah. now geographically related, right? Because I know usually as a data scientist, people usually ask me why my net is Silicon Valley. And, you know, I love Vermont. It's a beautiful place and it's a really nice place to be. And, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of, you know, resources for startups, for example, that are in Silicon Valley. And I think the fact that we can actually grow a company in Vermont and, uh, you know, spread it from here is going to be interesting, unique feature of this pandemic, sort of making um, everybody's in virtual space. So it doesn't matter actually where you physically are located. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it's different, right? You know, Thomas Friedman wrote his uh, World is Flat book, I'm guessing almost a decade ago now, right? And, um, and you know, the, the general concept in there was that, you know, that the, there's now a global playing field and, you know, technology is enabling, you know, multi, you know, country and other types of collaboration. But I think this has really taken it to a different level, because you're right, there was still a seeming stronghold on like innovation coming from a physical area like Silicon Valley, right? And, you know, there's been all these economic development efforts across the US and I know around the world as well to like become the next Silicon Valley, right? Meaning a physical place, right? Mm -hmm. Where all this talent just, you know, kind of converges and all the amazing ideas are supposed to come from this 30 square mile area of the world, right? But the reality is, you know, your story is that, you know, you're you're in Vermont, right? People don't think about Vermont as a technology hotbed. You've got a team that's all over the world um, and in countries that aren't known necessarily to be technology hotbeds either, but like this is a world is flat moment. And, um, and it's been made, I would, I would argue, I'd use the language, it's been made possible by the pandemic, yes. right? So. Absolutely. And, and I, th I think it's really exciting. And this is one way we can bring uh, diversity into our teams because now it's, you know, there's less geographical barriers so we can, you know, connect in online sp spaces. Like I, I love working with our team across the globe. And I think some of the sort of moving fast and being able to be where we are right now is because of this very incredibly talented team um, being, you know, available to work uh, together. Yeah. I'm curious, like, whether you have any thoughts about, um, you know, integrating like AR or VR components into this. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I know it's still early stages, but what are your thoughts about that? So I do have a high lens in here and that I love to play with. I think it's, a, it's an interesting technology. I think it's definitely in the future. Uh, but what we have, where we're going, uh, what's on our roadmap right now is uh, integrating uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence into our spaces where people can actually sort of, you know, imagine like you're writing a function and then you just write uh, what, what you want the program to do and it actually writes for you. And like some of this stuff is available um, and we're sort of in the experimental stages, but that's sort of the road. So right now we're just trying to uh, sort of use machine learning and um, you know interesting smart user experience design to be able to recreate some of those physical spaces that we normally socialize with and interact with. Yeah, I know one of the things you said was that your you know your your mission as you think about teaching machine learning is to kind of democratize it, right? To help it become more understandable to people and you know, have them be able to, to perhaps, you know, embrace it in ways where they're not just users, but, you know, influencers of it and things like that. So, you know, tell me a little bit about like, do you think InSpace is going to help play a role in that? I mean, so beyond your classroom teaching, does InSpace mm -hmm. itself help people, you know, understand? I mean, like, if I'm in it, am I understanding that this is something that's powered by machine learning? Or is that just magically happening? And I'm just curious. Yeah, so that's a really good question. So let me just kind of uh, talk a little bit about sort of why I care about democratizing machine learning. It's so important because 
everything we do these days, it has some components of machine learning in it, right? So like you use your phone, you go in the right. browser, everything is, you know, used and tracked to make things hopefully better, sometimes not. And so it's really important because we interact with this on an everyday basis. It's really important for everybody to be able to understand how the systems work and uh, what kind of things they do. For example, if they're biased, we want to be able to understand that they're biased. Oftentimes, because it involves so much math and coding, people might feel intimidated and not look into it because that's just maybe not what they were doing. And what we're trying to do is by democratizing this is making it more available and accessible. So more people understand how it works and when it works well and when it doesn't work well, so they can actually be prepared to interact with it. So as part of that, we actually started a new initiative at Champlain College. So all our fresh uh, freshman students are taking a core class. And part of that is like a three week module about how machine learning works, how AI works and how they're interacting with it on everyday basis that they might not even realize. Now, back to InSpace, I want to say um, one of the places that we saw a lot of interest also is meetup groups and community groups where like, you know, developers or people just get together and discuss different ideas. And uh, I think this would be really interesting to uh, to watch how that evolves for, for those spaces to have more sort of interesting connections among people who are working maybe different parts of the world and uh, connecting on different topics like, you know, maybe machine learning. Learning. Um, but the other part of this is interesting that there's a lot of machine learning solutions in the back that you don't necessarily realize, but they are making this seamless experience. And in, in some ways, it's kind of ironic because like machine learning is inspired the way humans work. And then now it's sort of a back circle into using that to make, make more human, uh, human experiences more natural in virtual spaces. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you know, look, things like machine learning and AI and and data mining and data science, right? Like they're 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 now part of the vernacular, right? People talk about this a lot. Mm -hmm. Considerably fewer people understand it well, right? And uh, and I think as 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 we start to evolve a little bit, you know, your point about it's we're having natural interactions with it, and sometimes it's happening in the background and we don't even know. But I think it is important for you know, you think about like, what are the new languages that students need to learn? You know, if we had a right. big emphasis on foreign language for years, right, like that might still be important, but you know, what about basic coding and understanding things like machine learning, data science, right? Like these are things that are probably gonna be really broadly necessary skill sets to have at like a technical level, but broad mm -hmm. understanding, right? Where, you know, you could see a world in, in a couple of years where colleges are requiring intro to data science courses, right? I mean, it sounds like Absolutely. Champlain is already a place that does that, but like there's an argument that everybody should know the fundamentals of this given how pro prolific it is in our lives. Yes, and uh, to that point, I wanna add, so five years ago when I started at Champlain College, one of the first things that I sort of started with, I said, we have to have a data science program because this is an up and coming field, it's gonna happen uh, and it's already in industry. And you know, at that time, nobody was offering undergrad um, you know, level data science programs. And that was sort of reserved for masters and PhDs and that was sort of a known thing and no, nobody else was kind of looking into it. So we started the program and right now, pretty much all colleges offer a data science undergrad program as well. So it's kind of interesting to watch that kind of evolve. And I can, I can see that how machine learning and data science are gonna be a big part of sort of the future of like general core education. Um, the other part of this, like you mentioned coding, it's really interesting. Coding is a great skill and a lot of people use it. I, I love it personally, but I also see, like I, I like to think of sort of in the future and sometimes my friend thinks I live in the future, but um, the future of coding uh, with machine learning is really just defining the problems. And once you define the problems, then your machine learning can help you to write those codes. So you, it might actually not be necessary to write code anymore. It would be more about understanding how these programs work and how to 
clearly define and formulate questions. Well, that sounds a little bit like critical thinking to me, right? Where the, the, you know, the ultimate goal is, you know, somebody to be able to understand the problem well enough and, you know, guide exactly. it in, in the right pathway, right? Where a lot of the, uh, the underlying, you know, guts of it can be potentially, as you pointed out, delivered by, you know, machine learning support. So it's an exciting time. I mean, I think, yes. uh, I think we're going to continue to see lots of great innovations. I'm going to be excited to follow uh, how things go for you and for InSpace, but Based on what uh, what I've heard so far, there's no doubt that, that you're going to have some great success. And so, uh, um, you know, I thank, thank you again you. for joining the show. And um, you know, next week for those of you who uh, want to know uh, about who's going to be joining next week, I've got John Fees, who's the founder and CEO of GradGuard, uh, which is a tuition insurance company. Uh, John's been at this work for a while, but as you can imagine, tuition insurance has become a pretty uh, hot topic of late. So. We're going to talk about the risk that parents and students take in sending their their uh, their student or or going to college and uh, get some good insights from John. So, anyway, Noreen, thank you so much for joining us. I'll look forward to yes. uh, following up with you, and I hope we stay in touch. Yes, thank you so much, Brandon, for having me. Super excited to be here, and thank you everyone for listening. And please visit inspace.chat and check out. And uh, we're happy to have more colleges to onboard with us. Sounds good. I'm sure you'll get a lot of interest. So, thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day.